1: A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifted and more. This is Peak Speak. Here we are. Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. This has sounded like it's very targeting Lebanese men. However, there is a certain type of I'm sure that's racist. I'm Lebanese, so it's okay. However, there is a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle. Eagles fly. And giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like to announce their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle. The Platinum Package 4.0 is now available in Australia. Manscaped is the leader in below the waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 6 men, million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code SPEAK.
0: In addition to shaving, you
1: can now completely
0: upgrade your shower routine with the ultra-premium, not just regular premium, ultra-premium body wash and ultra-premium TM 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner. You'll have your skin and hair feeling
1: hydrated and smelling fresh and clean. 20% off and free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PEAKSPEAK. It's time you're enjoying the finer things in life and get yourself a premium, a platinum package for your platinum package.
0: Speaking of premium quality products, while you're getting trimmers for your nether regions... Go buy yourself some delicious coffee from our good friends at Prism Coffee Co. You can also use the code Peakspeak there. I have been hammering through their Starlight Organic Coffee recently. It is delicious uh, and very useful. I am considering my options for taking a bunch of coffee smuggled in my... It's not really smuggling coffee. You're allowed to carry coffee on a plane. But carrying coffee with me in... uh, on the airplane so that I don't have to deal with airplane coffee on my way to Perth. Maybe I'll take a little bit of the sneaky I- instant coffee.
1: Who knows? Wait, in like a in a thermos?
0: No, I'd, I'd probably actually just take the instant coffee as the little tin. And then oh. be like, hey, can I have a cup full of hot water? Yes. <laughs> uh, and do it that way. Cause nice. Because then it's fresh, fresh. I have... Uh, I've often made my uh, father-in-law, when he drives back from Canberra to Melbourne, gets me to make him like 500 mils of like uh, pour over black coffee and just like put that in a thermos. So that would be the other option, but I'd have to find a thermos. And the chances of me spilling fucking hot coffee all over myself at some point are very Mm. high. Very high.
1: Or leaking it through your
0: bag. Yeah, which should be worse. (laughs) From the overhead locker. Yeah, in many (laughs) cases. Oh, there's a puddle of
1: coffee in this overhead locker. (laughs) <laughs> it just starts dripping through, like. Well, th- that happened on the on the pl- the last plane that I was on, like my my Sydney to Brisbane plane the other week, uh, but it was just someone's water bottle. Oh, that, that would be amazing if it was like, man, it's soup in the thermos just leaking out, yeah, like, dripping from the overhead locker.
0: Or oh, alphabet noodles start hitting <laughs> in the head.
1: <laughs> oh dear. When I was in uh, when I was in Wales, I stayed with Jordan Hellier, zero yep. rep over there. Uh, and he's like a he's like you he's a massive coffee nerd and has like all the all the tools uh, all the special espresso tools um, you know like the special thing to like get it perfectly in and then a special tamper thing that leaves a little pattern and then like the is thing is it that
0: like one of those you put it in and you spin it yeah spreads it all out yeah that's
1: on my list of things to um to get and then is, is it called the portafiller like the the actual Porter thing, filter yeah the, the yeah. thing that that's the handle it yeah Instead of, like, the two
0: channels. Oh, he's got a bottomless one? one one? Yeah, that converges. Also, I like, in the last week, I've spent a bunch of time looking at one of those for my machine. Mm. Uh, The standard, like, two-ear filter is really common, but mine's got, like, a weird three pattern, so I'm trying to find one that I don't have to buy from Wish. Um,
1: (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that's also on my list of coffee machine upgrades. Yeah, and so... Like I, I've I've maintained that I don't really like coffee, even though I have a coffee sponsorship and I drink it every day. Uh, and now I'm really beginning to think it's because I make it like a play. Yeah, you so- make shit coffee. <laughs> I, like I
0: pro- I promise you, it's because you make shit coffee. Absolutely.
1: Um, and I in- inherently I kind of knew this, but I also thought that there's no like even a well-made coffee isn't that great. But no. now that I've had like really well-made coffee, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, this is the bomb. This yeah.
0: is awesome. When um. Because I'm coming up for Worlds. Uh, I'll I'll give you a little tutorial.
1: Educate me. Yeah, yeah.
0: We'll, we'll do a little workshop,
1: if you will. Amazing. Amazing. You know my address.
0: Yes, exactly. Well, mostly I'm using this as an excuse to just stay at your house again. Yeah. More than welcome. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, to start the podcast, uh, the first podcast we've done in a little while with a slightly somber note, um, I want to briefly touch on a pretty devastating experience that the Burley community has gone through over the last month and a bit. Uh, we had one of our longtime members and good friend of the gym, Matt Pierce, uh, died suddenly and very unexpectedly, uh, at his home by himself, a few weeks ago, Um uh, most of you wouldn't know Matt by name nor by sight, uh, but he played a more significant role in the, the powerlifting community in Australia than I think most people would recognize. Mm. Uh, Matt did a lot of work with the open powerlifting team uh, and was pretty instrumental in uh, in implementing the open powerlifting platform platform. Um, I know, as it turns out, he gave us a, a custom burly strength open powerlifting thing that no one at open powerlifting knew about, um, which is great. Uh, amongst other things, uh, if your results from any powerlifting comp in Australia in the last 15 years are on the internet, on the open powerlifting website, you most likely have Matt to thank for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt was one of the best in the world at pestering meet directors to provide results for him so that they could be updated in a timely fashion. And I think f- for a lot of the federations in Australia was one of the people that was somewhat instrumental in just improving everyone's processes in getting things done quickly and uploaded and ready to go so that those sort of things can exist. So, yeah, it's been a pretty devastating time for the Burley community uh, and, and will continue to be, I think, for a little while. Uh, this weekend's going to be particularly hard going to GPC Nationals where Matt was planning to compete he was you know five or six weeks out from nationals uh when he died and that's a pretty shitty time uh for all of us so uh yeah i just wanted to mention that and and pay tribute to matt he was a fantastic person who was unafraid to stand up for what he believed in and uh and just a very hard-working and dedicated athlete and yeah, it's been a really shitty time, but uh, his memory lives on. I think traditionally in the open powerlifting world, there was uh, I got sent a screenshot of one of the last things he said in the open powerlifting group chat that they have with all the developers that I believe is going to be immortalized as an error message uh, in open powerlifting at some stage, which would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been a hard time, uh, but a time that I'm eternally grateful for a community of people like we've built. You know, I think despite this being a pretty hard and, and devastating time for us all, I think it's a really nice reminder that it is hard and it is devastating because we're such a tight-knit group of people who are all there for each other. And I think that both makes it much easier to deal with but also is a is a nice reminder of how much that, that really means to a lot of us. So, hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, Not anytime we've ever... Uh, uh, been uploading things or communicating with open powerlifting he's signed off personally in, in a lot of those emails and he's been extremely helpful every time i met matt he was fantastic and so uh i'm sure it goes without saying that you have our sincerest, sincerest condolences to yourself in the burley community and uh, i'm sure all the listeners are in the same position so um, uh, an unfortunate loss and uh I mean forever grateful for the amazing community that you have there and it's amazing to hear that you're all looking out for each other, so Yeah man, thanks. <sighs> oh, so
0: I don't I don't know how we segue <clears throat> from that into anything that's less morbid and sad, but you know, we're the kings of segues in the Australian Power Podcasting world, which I admit <laughs> is not a particularly big world, but we're the kings of segues. So here we No, go. we
1: are. And uh King Charles is now the king of England, which is top news here in Australia that people pretend to care about, which is fantastic.
0: Fucking hell. I got roped into watching the bloody funeral procession last night by my girlfriend who got roped into it by her father who was like, it's history. (laughs) So is a lot of things. Doesn't mean I want to watch it.
1: (laughs) When when I was over there, I tried to ascertain, because I don't know anything about the royals, like nothing whatsoever. Um, I tried to ascertain what they do and what their power is and no one could really tell me <laughs> not um, a lot and not much is my understanding and, and I have no interest in like reading about it and doing any nah. sort of research uh, I'm grateful that it happened while I was on the way home and not there uh, I think it would have made traveling a little bit more difficult
0: yep I imagine so
1: imagine being Charles, like you haven't worked for 73 years and now it's like hey bro you got a job And the job's pretty big. So enjoy.
0: Yeah, it'd be a weird experience. That whole thing's just the whole... I was saying to my girlfriend last night, whoever was the first person that made the connection between being in charge and being somehow God-like, like Like in whatever ancient (laughs) civilization, the first person was like, I'm the king, but I'm also chosen by God. Was a fucking genius. <laughs> like, that person was onto something, and they have done a very good job of, yeah, making that a thing. where like, oh, suddenly, not only am I the king, but I'm also part god or chosen by god. It's a pretty nice position to be in.
1: I think the thing they were onto is found in a purple fungus called ergot. Uh, You can Google that later if you don't know what it is.
0: (laughs) And once you've Googled it, you should read The Immortality King, which is a fucking fantastic look into that whole world. It is, especially
1: if your trip is like we are. Anyway. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) More more exciting news in the powerlifting world. The rules in the IBF have changed. Drama! Did you think it was going to happen? Because I didn't think it was going to happen.
0: I thought it was going to be a lot of bullshit talk from internet fanboys that was going to fizzle out into nothing because the IPF are traditionally spineless. Um, But
1: as it turns out, I was wrong. I don't think it can stick. I think there are too many people who genuinely can't satisfy... The rules, because of being barrel chested or having short arms. One of my female lifters who
0: competed at the APL comp, I handed her bench out. She benches with her pinkies on the rings, and I was like, "Wow, she's like really like." If we went to not even like we went one finger grip finger width wider, she would not pass a bench in the IPF.
1: So, yeah, I mean, like this is, I I genuinely don't think that it's going to stick for that reason and um i i think the the you know those those two images that they posted side by side of like here's his elbow depth and here's not elbow depth it's extremely ambiguous I, I still don't quite fully understand what the top of the shoulder means and i, I think this is one of the problems with with rules in powerlifting is that th- they'll be written down but then there'll be no uh training around what this actually means like there's yeah, no, it's just, there's
0: no, here's no, a word here's a sentence all of you interpret it and just like what do you mean you don't know what you're talking about
1: yeah there's there's no training as to how yeah. to interpret that rule there's no there's no training from a practical perspective like here are a whole bunch of videos of good and bad um it's one thing that's historically missing in in refereeing and in powerlifting as a whole uh that that adds this element of subjectivity and I think uh, you know. I've heard you raise this point. I've heard multiple raise, people raise this point. Is that in our experience as referees, how the fuck are we going to judge this thing?
0: Yeah, it it seems like you know, and and bench press. Uh, not, that, not that we have to judge it. No, exactly. Because <laughs> we com- we competed feds that are not so authoritarian. Um, the like judging. I think judge head judging bench press is actually probably the hardest part of judging a powerlifting comp. I think like people might say judging depth in a squat from the side is like equally as hard, but I think the thing about a like judging head judges a bench press is there's a lot going on, and mm-hmm. you know I, like I've done some big competitions where I've head judged, I've like red lighted Milanichev because he sunk a bar <laughs> after the press call in a bench. Like I've done things like that that. Like, if you're not already pretty adept at watching a lot of bench press, which, like, I had done a lot of long before I ever sat in a powerlifting judging chair. If you don't already know what you're looking for, it can be really complex, right? Mm. Like, the way I the way I sort of encourage refs as I am, am teaching them how to judge from that position to judge, like, the press call, right? Because that's the, the hardest bit is getting that right is that on the first one, much in a similar vein to, like, your judging squat depth, on the first one, I actually err on the side of, like, probably a slightly longer pause, like, press call than I would want to give. Because you a lifter. Exactly. So that I can get a feel for what that lifter's bottom position looks like, mm-hmm. which is, again, one of the good reasons why you should always make sure your openers are really light. Um... But in that scenario, you then get a feel for like, okay, is this a really slow, like slow, just barely graze the chest bench presser? Is this a fucking Dan Green try and crush my spine with the barbell bencher? Is this someone who comes down slow and then sinks a little bit? Like all of these things that make just that one aspect of refereeing the bench press, the pause call, much more complex. Now we're adding another fucking variant where suddenly you've got to look at not just the bar relative to the chest, but then their elbows relative to their shoulders in that position as you're trying to say press at the same time. Mm-hmm. It just seems like a great way to make head judging for the bench press basically impossible to do perfectly.
1: Yeah. I mean, like when I'm teaching when I'm teaching head refing on bench press, I'm telling the person I remain laser focused on the dead center of the bar and where it touches the chest because yep. the press call is as soon as the bar is motionless on the chest. So I'm watching that like a hawk and as soon as it stops, I say press. So my press calls tend to be pretty quick and like you, I tend to wait a little bit longer on the first one because um, we've all been there as a ref where you've called press and then the bar keeps going down and you realize yeah, yeah. it was your error. Like yeah, they, yeah. they weren't actually finished coming down yet. Yeah, I fucking
0: red light of ladder ship for exactly that
1: reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... Uh, like being laser focused on the center of the bar, you, you're not watching the elbows. How are you going to watch the no. elbows relative to the shoulder and the center of the bar and the chest at the same time? It's it's going to be a nightmare. And that's not even that's not even raising the fact that the side refs don't really see where the elbows are in relation to the shoulder because there's fucking plates in the way. Yeah. And even even if there's not, like, say you're sitting further down the foot of the bench, you your your view is completely skewed. You cannot ref that. So- exactly.
0: It, so you're basically putting the entire onus <laughs> on the head ref, who can then still be overruled anyway because the two side judges could think it's fine. Mm-hmm. I just think it's like it's a bit of a toothless rule in that respect because it it could still very well pass fine from the other side. I also the big thing for me is I just don't understand why. Like mm-hmm. I I understand the the theoretical argument. Oh, we're trying to prevent like ultra wide bench pressing. You know, because it's becoming this like ludicrous thing. But I don't think I've ever seen anyone with like an incredible arch, super wide grip bench press win a three lift meet because of their super wide, incredibly big arched bench press. Because generally, the people who can do that fucking suck at all the other ones. Mm -hmm. So they got really good at bench press, which is the one they have a natural advantage for because they've either got a super mobile spine, they're very thick, and have incredibly short arms. And so they end up in this, like, tiny little ROM. Uh, Like, for me, and and has been from the start of my powerlifting career, I really admire that. I think it's a really impressive... Like, uh, it's the epitome of technical mastery in that respect, right? Mm-hmm. Like, much like watching someone snatch a beautiful, you know, fucking one motion, beautiful super slow-mo hook grip snatch. Like, it's beautiful to watch. In the same way, like, I, I think bench presses are just boring to watch anyway. But um, that's not bench press's fault. Uh, doing it well like that is is just technical mastery. You're just taking the rules that are already there and expressing it to its fullest. But it's not making a difference to the sport of powerlifting. Maybe mm-hmm. it is to bench press only, mm-hmm. but like so are shirts, so are a whole bunch of other things that make bench press only a separate division. That's why it is a separate division. But from a, from a powerlifting perspective, I don't think it's changing any results. Mm. I also don't think anyone's not watching powerlifting because they've watched some super impressive squat and then watched a weird looking bench press and be like, well, this sport isn't for me. And so, arbitrarily changing those rules, I don't think is going to make any difference on that front either.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I echo your, your thoughts completely in terms of powerlifters don't need to be threatened by this because none of these people with ridiculous arches and tiny range of motions are, are winning powerlifting competitions. And if you look at the top benches, none of them are like that. Mm. Like the all time benches. Like even, even Australia. Look at Andrew Cooper, Jason Semler, um, Vasa. Look at uh, you know all all these guys benching two fifty plus. Even, like, then some of
0: the women, like, watch uh, Sarah Rainbows' massive benching. Like, there's a few massive benches in the women that are almost never Mm -hmm. that huge, big, arch, wide group thing. And even if they are, like, it's up until this point in just about every federation been perfectly legal. Yep, yep. yep, I think from my point of view, it, it sort of feels like a rule that has been put in place to appease a vocal minority of meme lord keyboard warriors who just complain about their inability to get into the same position, and because they suck at bench press?
1: Mm-hmm. I, like I, I do empathise with the people who are in these classes that are strong benches that are being pipped by people with these ridiculous benches. Because I mean, at the end of the day, they they are a little bit ridiculous to watch a you know one inch range of motion. Um, it, but but where the, the hard thing with this argument in, on either side is where is the magical line where it becomes not okay versus okay? yeah like what range of motion is okay versus not okay? What what turns it into being ridiculous? Because I, I personally look at this, you know, half an inch, one inch range of motion to think, okay, I, I get why people are upset at this, but then I have to go inward and be like, okay, at what point would I say, well, this is ridiculous. This is not ridiculous. And I, I don't have an answer to that. And so until someone can provide a realistic answer to that, then, there's no argument to be had and so the ipf have tried to do that by saying well if your elbows go below your shoulder then it's okay but from a practical perspective it's like they've never watched a bench press yeah <laughs> like i watch watched my own bench press and i don't think i have an incredibly short range of motion no. but i don't even think i satisfy that rule i and i'm still confused by the way i don't know what the top of the shoulder means are we talking like when you're looking at someone standing up the top of the shoulder which would be the middle of the shoulder from behind or are we talking of the top like of the, the shoulder top from of behind, your deltoid
0: or yeah, then like, ha- yeah.
1: how do you how do you distinguish between the top of the shoulder and where the pec start it's like it, it's it's a really really ambiguous thing to begin with on paper and then impossible to judge by three people so yeah it seems like a completely redundant rule the other concern from my point of view is that it
0: sets a very interesting precedent where now maybe, we end up in a position where it's a race to, like, maximize the range of motion, you know? Because like, the, the next thing on the chopping block is short-legged, long-torsoed, long-armed people sumo deadlifting. Sumo, yeah. Like, Aaron Sim has to retire from powerlifting if that happens, um, amongst many other people who have ludicrously short ranges of motion mm-hmm. that, like, in that case are, much like the bench press example an example of someone with very good leverage for that one thing being incredibly skillful at that one movement that is Mm -hmm. very advantageous based on their leverages. (laughs) And again, the people with like the meme style deadlifts that don't move very far and are incredibly strong often aren't winning meets because often like Aaron, sorry to pick on you, Aaron, we love you. They have incredibly long arms and can't bench for shit. Um, (laughs) and so this is the thing is like my concern is now we're going to be like all right well your sumo has to move at least until x goes above y or some other bullshit that then suddenly we're going to ban sumo deadlifts and it's like well we may as well get rid of belts we may as well get rid of specialty bars and like just go back to like naked lifting with a fixed barbell and we'll just make it as hard as possible but then Mm. we're just arbitrarily making this sport harder for some weird niche aspect of, like, making it prettier or something like that. I don't know. It's just, it's very odd. And something that I don't think you see in the same vein in other sports, Mm -hmm. right? Like, in something like F1, you see rule changes that are often about, like, the output of the engines or the shape of the cars and things like that. And those are... Technology changes, right? Like, that's the the barbell equivalent, like a deadlift bar, straight bar. You know, mm. I think that's a useful analogy in that respect. But there aren't rules that are about making it harder. Mm. Like, they're, they're not there to eliminate one tiny aspect of it. They're about leveling the playing field to a certain extent and making it safe. And, mm. like, this rule change doesn't fucking make bench press any safer. It's already pretty fucking safe. Mm. Um and i don't think it levels the playing field effectively because you've taken a group of powerlifters who had a natural advantage in bench press and often a natural disadvantage in other lifts and you've negated their natural advantage and you're just trying to level a playing field that was never fucking level to begin with Mm -hmm. uh so yeah i just i don't i don't understand the logic I understand the emotion like the I. it looks weird and I'm a bit weirded out by it and I want to make it not look weird but you can't make fucking decisions in a sport like that based on emotion that's not how it works
1: yeah yeah I think um, I think a more positive and realistic step would have been something around uh, clarification on, on the grip width on bench press so in, in the rule books in pretty much every federation including the IPF the grip width is 81 centimetres like the index fingers must be 81 centimetres apart so it's not index finger on the rings the rings are 81 centimeters apart but you can offset your grip you're allowed to have like one finger out one finger in um but people people uh try to stretch this with what's called the japanese grip like that heavily internally rotated like wrist cocked way in so just the the very corner of your knuckle on your index finger is just grazing the rings Mm. and if you look at the person's grip from the other side of the bar they're nowhere near the ring and so f- for me, that, that sort of doesn't satisfy the whole grip 81 centimeters apart. If there was clarification that your entire, you know, inside of your hand must be 81 centimeters from the other hand, that's going to clear that up immediately. And all of a sudden people lose four inches on their grip width, uh, which is going to dramatically change the range of motion. I think that should be clarified because I actually think that contributes to making uh, it a little bit of a joke. Uh, I, th- I think that rule well, especially with those bent those- too far.
0: Yeah, those very wide grip big arch bench presses almost all of them that have a wide grip big arch also use something like that japanese grip to double down on that
1: advantage for sure for sure so i, I think a, a an easier way to address this an easier way to and this is me just playing devil's advocate for the rule changing in the first place which which i don't really you know whatever um Uh, To play devil's advocate, a more positive way and a more realistic way to referee this would be to talk about that grip because you can see it from all angles if you're positioned correctly. And from the head ref perspective, you can look at it at any point in the lift. Uh, You don't have to have this magical pinpoint moment where you have to be focused on two things at once.
0: Yeah, because your grip width doesn't change as you move.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I feel like the, the decisions that were made on this were just made by people that
0: just how, don't how do watch I, powerlifting. yeah
1: it, and yeah. i i feel dirty saying that it's like how could this decision be made by people without experience refereeing or without experience watching thousands of lift from that perspective i i just don't know where this thought process is, has come from and uh, uh that's pretty standard happened, for the ipf though. what happened behind closed doors? It just it, yeah the mind boggles yeah it's weird man
0: If you could implement one rule in powerlifting other than the grip thing, because you've already talked about that, what would it be? Mm. Like, if you could add add or modify an existing rule. Oh, jeepers. I just thought of that question. I think it would be interesting.
1: Yeah, shit. I don't know. Um.
0: For me, I just get rid of the fucking thumb loops rule. I just don't give a shit whether your thumb loops are on your wrist wraps or not. Fucking Well,
1: to clarify, very few rule books actually refer to the thumb loops. It's like the the need to clarify next to the rule about the length uh, or the the distance the wrist wrap covers because they're like, well, it can't go above two centimetres above the wrist joint and the thumb loops part of the wrist wrap, they should just clarify as part of that thumb loops don't count as part of the wrist wrap. That's fair. Because... It's not it's not doing anything there's lots of things in powerlifting rule books that are like that that are just kind of gray like uneven extension except yeah, that the, the wording is in most rule books is excessive uneven extension or uneven lockout or whatever What does that mean? What does excessive mean? How do you so ref that
0: to bring this example back to Matt Pierce. Matt's one of the only people I've ever seen get red lights for uneven extension because he had an incredibly uneven extension on his bench press. And I remember back in the early in the GPC days, the discussion we'd had was that uneven extension was defined as... uh, The plates would slide off. Yeah, if the collars weren't on the bar, the plates would slide off. It's still grey. It's still ambiguous. Matt last year at... (laughs) Uh, GPC not Nationals Regional Cup or whatever it was uh, got Reds for uneven extension on a PR bench and he was so dirty about it that he came back like to the gym that week and put a bunch of weight on the bar comp plates (laughs) but didn't put collars on and deliberately pressed it in the same manner and was like and like it wasn't a max weight but he deliberately like yeah. kept that same angle and was like see the fucking plates didn't fall off I shouldn't have got reds for that and was just like very vindicated by the fact that he'd managed to skirt that rule
1: well like I mean I like the because that's that's how Scott Watson used to teach everyone to, yeah. to ref is like if the plate and I, I honestly I use that line quite a bit but it's still so grey because different bars different plates don't slide as easy as other bars and plates you know like if the, if the plates are if the bar's a little bit rusty, it's very sticky. If yep. the plates are a little bit newer, there's more paint there; they stick to the bar. Like, or so if many. you've got like a
0: power bar that's got those sort of yeah, Eastern European style ribs With on the it, ridge, that, yeah, yeah, that mostly are just cool because they make that beautiful uh, zip sound. Yeah, fuck, <laughs> it's my favorite sound in the entire <laughs> gym is that zop onto yeah. a weightlifting bar like that. I like grabbing the shaft
1: and just <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. care what it looks like. I don't care what people say. It's pleasing. Um... Yeah, there's, uh, but there's so many rules in powerlifting like that that are grey like this. I like I find things around. Um, uh, uh some of the things around personal qu- equipment just seem to be there for the sake of being there, uh, like the like the thumb loops thing. Yeah, um, th- there's a few like ritualistic or rules of days days gone by that don't make sense. The um, I would scrap elbows on knees and squats. Like if, if another
0: you- person, another rule that I've only ever seen Matt
1: Pierce get red lights for,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we've managed to go down this road, but so far the only rules I've they, genuinely, he's the only person I've ever seen get reds because he just like Matt was a deadlifter, right? Like long arms, long legs, short ass torso, uh, short ass torso, fucking terrible hip mobility. And so it would just like fold himself in half to get to depth. Uh, and he's, again, the only person I've ever seen where his elbows genuinely
1: touched his knees and he got reds for it. Well, see, this is what pisses me off. I'm pretty sure there's no rule book that says if your elbows touch your knees, you get red lights. It's if your elbows provide assistance.
0: Uh, so it's see, that's a, a very important like wording
1: clarification. Well, it's the same with touching the safeties, touching the rack on the way up, like grazing against the rack. When people get red-lighted for that, I would contest it because it's like, if it provided assistance yeah, yeah. like if that's how I it bounced off the rack yeah. but that's what the rule book actually says and so this is this is what I see as the problem with powerlifting is that there's no there's no like training for referees it's like do this exam to read the rules and all that people remember is elbows knees red light Yeah, bar touches the rack red light and it's like, well, that's not what the rule actually says. Yeah, and you're, so not, we you're need not picking be up the at, nuance of it. Yeah. yeah, we need to be better at providing a standardized training approach, which is why I run these APL referee workshops. I'm trying to give a practical approach. Um, my ideal scenario is that we turn it into an actual training course where we have heaps of videos that we can refer to. Yeah, man, that's um, what I was, take I was just going to say is what we should
0: perhaps do uh, is like, especially with the... advent of, like, decent quality live streams, I think we'd be able to do a pretty good job uh, collating a bunch of examples of, like, different people, like, shapes and sizes, different weights, Mm. different equipment setups, you know, different angles, all that kind of stuff. Because, like, that's what it needs to be. It's like a fucking... You know, two to six hour online workshop thing that you can just have people run through that like becomes a graduated program because it's what we need. Like you said, because there are so many things where, like I, you know, the way I run meets, I stand basically in front of the attempt selection table, like the scoring table, and I stay basically inside four square meters the entire day you know handling people doing all that sort of stuff and jumping where I need to and so I watch every lift that happens Mm. and then often we'll go up and talk to the judges about like hey did you see this or did you see that and they're like oh no it's like yeah cool next time that person comes up pay attention to this aspect of it and like helping them see those nuanced aspects that people like you and I have been around this sport for a decade or more have just watched so much of it that you can like you almost feel it like there are times where I've watched a lift and been like that was a red light Why was it a red light? Oh, wait. Yep, that's what happened. Mm. Like, I know it's reds before I know why it's reds, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, And I think that would be an incredibly beneficial resource to have just in general is a, a repository of... Video yeah. examples of things like that, which now fucking frustrates me, because now I'm gonna have to go and spend like ten hours scrolling through fucking live stream footage because I've got this
1: idea in my head. And it's going on. <laughs> well, what what you just touched on is probably a good point to finish on, which is you know, give the refs a bit of a break. you know, the, yeah. the, the we're all human; we all make mistakes. Especially like uh, you mentioned, head refing on on bench press. I'd say side refing on on bench press is probably one of the hardest tasks because when you're head refing, you know you've got the the press calls and everything you're looking for uneven extension the the hard part about side refing bench is looking for all that and looking at the hips on the bench at the same time and looking for and all the feet and stuff feet. like that as well yeah exactly so um <clears throat> you know from a crowd or a video you can look at a bench being and be like that person's hips blatantly came off the bench when they pressed up maybe the side ref was looking at something else at that exact yeah. moment because uh, you've only got a split second in the chair to, to call things exactly how you see them uh, and it's very easy to be an armchair critic uh, when you're not sitting there in that exam exact moment. Like it would be great to put all these critics in the referee's chair for a day <sighs> and be like, let's count how many times you fuck up.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I think to finish on that note, as a power lifter, be it a competitor or a coach or just a general enthusiast, if you ever, ever... Approach a referee in the chair at a meet with a fucking video of the lift that you just got Reds on, or worse, a fucking screenshot of a video of a lift you got Reds on, go and get fucked. Like, that is an ejectable offense, in my opinion, because it is just such... Like, it's the epitome of that armchair critic thing, right? Mm. Here's a video that shows you're wrong. Fuck you, that video wasn't taken from the spot I'm sitting in. It wasn't taken at the same speed. You got to watch it back six times before you got up the courage to come and talk to me about this. And, hey, I'm about to judge the next lifter. Just get out of my fucking face. (laughs) You just look at the video and you go, Yeah, I saw that. That was high. Yeah, yeah. I've man, I've I've done that to like some very important people. Uh where I've been like, uh yeah, no, I know. I just think you're wrong. And <laughs> I gave it reds. Exactly. <laughs> um exactly. But I'm perhaps fractionally more confident and maybe just a touch more confrontational than the occasional referee who sits volunteering their time, which, again, is worth clarifying. These people volunteer their time to help run the fucking sport. Yes. So just don't be a cunt to the refs. It's not
1: that hard. Amen. All right. We love you. Goodbye. Five stars. It's good to be back. It is. Goodbye. See you next time. Bye.